On June 14, 1946, the Baruch Plan was proposed during its first meeting of the United Nations Atomic Energy Commission. Less than a year after the U.S. dropped Fat Man and Little Boy, it was time to put in motion a plan to make sure that such destruction could be prevented from ever happening again. Hi, I'm Jack Reichert. I decided to practice my oratory skills by reading speeches and essays. Since I'm already recording it, I thought I'd share it with you. So without further ado, Bernard Baruch's speech before the first session of the United Nations Atomic Energy Commission, Hunter College, New York. My fellow members of the United Nations Atomic Energy Commission and my fellow citizens of the world, we are here to make a choice between the quick and the dead. That is our business. Behind the black portent of the new atomic age lies a hope which, seized upon with faith, can work our salvation. If we fail, then we have damned every man to be the slave of fear. Let us not deceive ourselves. We must elect world peace or world destruction. Science has torn from nature a secret so vast in its potentialities that our minds cower from the terror it creates. Yet terror is not enough to inhibit the use of the atomic bomb. The terror created by weapons has never stopped man from employing them. For each new weapon, a defense has been produced in time, but now we face a condition in which adequate defense does not exist. Science, which gave us this dread power, shows that it can be made a giant help to humanity, but science does not show us how to prevent its baleful use. So we have appointed to obviate that peril by finding a meeting of the minds and of the hearts of our peoples. Only in the will of mankind lies the answer. It is to express this will and make it effective that we have been assembled. We must provide the mechanism to assure that atomic energy is used for peaceful purposes and preclude its use in war. To that end, we must provide immediate, swift, and sure punishment of those who violate the agreements that are reached by the nations. Penalization is essential if peace is to be more than a feverish interlude between wars. And two, the United Nations can prescribe individual responsibility and punishment on the principles applied at Nuremberg by the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the United Kingdom, France, and the United States, a formula certain to benefit the world's future. In this crisis, we represent not only our governments, but in a larger way, we represent the peoples of the world. We must remember that the peoples do not belong to the governments but that the governments belong to the peoples. We must answer their demands. We must answer the world's longing for peace and security.
In that desire, the United States shares, ardently and hopefully, the search of science for the absolute weapon has reached fruition in this country. But she stands ready to prescribe and destroy this instrument, to lift its use from death to life, if the world will join in a pact to that end. In our success lies the promise of a new life, freed from the heart-stopping fears that now beset the world, the beginning of victory for the great ideals for which millions have bled and died lies in the building of a workable plan. Now we approach fulfillment of the aspirations of mankind. At the end of the road lies the fairer, better, sure life we crave and mean to have. Only by a lasting peace are liberties and democracies strengthened and deepened. War is their enemy and it will not do to believe that any of us can escape war's devastation. Victor, vanquished, and neutrals alike are affected physically, economically, and morally. Against the degradation of war, we can erect a safeguard that is the Gordon for which we reach. Within the scope of the formula we outline here will be found for those who seek it, the essential elements of our purpose. Others will see only emptiness. Each of us carries his own mirror, in which is reflected hope or determined desperation, courage or cowardice. There is a famine throughout the world today. It starves men's bodies, but there is a greater famine, the hunger of men's spirit. That starvation can be cured by the conquest of fear and the substitution of hope for which springs faith, faith in each other, faith that we want to work together towards salvation and determination that those who threaten the peace and safety shall be punished. The peoples of these democracies gathered here have a particular concern with our answer for their peoples hate war. They will have a heavy exaction to make of those who fail, to provide an escape. They are not afraid of an internationalism that protects. They are unwilling to be fobbed off by mouthings about narrow, sove narrow sovereignty, which is today's phrase for yesterday's isolation. The basis of a sound foreign policy in this new age for all the nations here gathered is that anything that happens, no matter where or how, which menaces the peace of the world or the economic stability concerns each and all of us. That roughly may be said to be the central theme of the United Nations. It is with that thought we begin consideration of the most important subject that can engage mankind, life itself. There will be no quibbling about the duty and the responsibility of this group and of the governments we represent. I was moved in the afternoon of my life to add my effort to gain the world's quest by the broad mandate under which we were created. All of us are consecrated to making an end of gloom and hopelessness.
It will not be an easy job. The way is long and thorny, but supremely worth traveling. All of us want to stand erect with our faces to the sun instead of being forced to burrow into the earth like rats. The pattern of salvation must be worked out by all, for all. The light at the end of the tunnel is dim, but our path seems to grow brighter as we actually begin our journey. We cannot yet light the way to the end. However, we hope the suggestions of my government will be illuminating. Let us keep in mind the exhortation of Abraham Lincoln, whose words uttered at a moment of shattering national peril form a complete text for our deliberation. I quote, paraphrasing slightly, we cannot escape history. We of this meeting will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we are passing will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We say we are for peace. The world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save peace. The world knows that we do. We, even we here, hold the power and have the responsibility. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. The way is plain, peaceful, generous, just, a way which, if followed, the world will forever applaud. My thanks for your attention. Why this speech? There are few things that affected the geopolitical landscape of today as greatly as World War II. However, even knowing people who have lived through the war reading countless books and lectures and courses about the war, it is still something that is hard to fathom. This speech is a powerful reminder of what had been at stake, what sacrifices had been made, and what actions had to be taken to ensure victory. But in the fabric of this speech, too, is an echo of the fears and hopes following the war. I hope you enjoyed that. Please send me your thoughts, if you have, about this piece. This is Jack Reichert. Thank you for listening.